This is a download from News Talk 106 to 108. To download other programmes or for more information, go to newstalk.ie. Paddy Prendeville is the editor of the Phoenix magazine. He was born in Rochdale in Manchester, the eldest of eight children to parents George and Barbara. George died when Paddy was 14, but his mother is still alive, aged 91. Paddy's paternal grandfather was a doctor from Kerry and they visited there often as a child. He was educated as a boarder at Clongo's Wood School and began his career in journalism in the late 1970s at Hibernia magazine, went on to become foreign editor at the Sunday Tribune until he began work at the Phoenix under its founder, John Mulcahy. Paddy is married to Margaret and he has two children, a daughter Lara and a son Georgie and he's a proud grandfather too. And these are Paddy Prendeville's musical heirlooms. I'm a traitor to my class. It happened because having fecklessly and entirely due to my own laziness or whatever, aimlessness, drops out of the middle class and went to live in London when I was a teenager, uh, late teenager and what I found, it just, I was just shocked at the way people were treated and suddenly I was being treated. I just wasn't used to that. I was a very privileged and protected little boy uh, without realising it. And the way that people were treated, I could not understand um, why everybody wasn't a raving revolutionary socialist or communist. And they just used to accept it and shrug their shoulders. That's the way life is, mate. Um but I, I didn't, <laughs> I found it quite heavy and, and oppressive. Um, and then there was the anti-Irish racism and all the other racism in England. Uh, that was quite radicalising. I've been very lucky in that, I suppose, my, my boss, John Mulcahy, has had the same attitude and inculcated the same attitude in his journalists, me included, about an almost iconoclastic attitude to the establishment's politicians, business, and not just to accept, not, not just to accept what somebody says in a press statement or... or I know all journalists are, are obviously shrewder than to simply accept what a politician says or what a press statement says, but there is an inclination in all of us to defer. It's just attitude, attitude to the great and the good to be cynical, to be sceptical, to be always inquiring. And goes, and as I say, I think most journalists would all say that. Just that I, I don't recognise a lot of that in, you know, the main newspapers, the main broadcasting media. Uh, and in that sense, you're very lucky if you work for the Phoenix because I can write any story I like, as long as it's a story. I can't indulge myself in my prejudices or preferences. As long as i got a story, I can write about the weather. Uh, I remember after the Charlie Hebdo, very recently, uh, the slaughter in that office. I think everybody expected the Phoenix with all our cartoons to be, well, we were condemnatory, of course, but but also to go along with the rather stupid uh, arguments about total free speech and anybody can write anything they like, uh, quote, as obnoxious as you like, as the Irish Times put it. And say, oh no, no, this is ridiculous. All right, so you can you can use the N word, can you? In Alabama, you can talk about queers, uh, and you can attack people's sexuality, their gender, their creed, anything you like, anything goes. And then <laughs> every second European country has a law against Holocaust denial, for example. 
So we took a stand on that, uh, and I think we actually hit a chord. Because I think a lot of journalists and people, the public, had, had said, hold on a sec, that's ridiculous. You can't just say what you like about uh, Jesus Christ or Muhammad or whatever, and you've got to recognise that certain cultures are ultra-sensitive about this and we're ultra-sensitive about something else. Uh, yeah, you can satirise anything you like, and we never took that view. I think satire is... I don't know, it's Coburn, Alexander Coburn says, somebody says, anyway, it's my attitude, our attitude in the Phoenix. You satirise and you have a go at the big and the powerful. You don't satirise your next door neighbour or the little guys. You satirise the big guys. Adeste Fidelis Leti triumphantes, venite, venite, in Bethlehem. Uh, I just found it unacceptable that my father died. I just could not deal with it. Well, he died when I was 14, effectively of drink. Not not directly, but that's what it was. Um, and uh, as I said, it was just... It was very upsetting. Uh, the few years before he died had been equally upsetting because his drinking got completely out of hand. He would go on these batters, like they would last three weeks, 24-7. And they were absolutely horrendous. And I think I was one of the few kids in boarding school who was sometimes glad to get back there after holidays. But that, that's a bit self-piteous, but that's just the way it was. And it, it was very upsetting. It comes back to hit you in crisis situations, things like that, and the alcoholism. If you have a really big crisis, all that stuff comes flooding back. But I think I'm relatively balanced. <laughs> but it seemed to skip our generation. Uh, that Not one of us has a drink problem. But I was scared of it. Uh, and I wouldn't drink at first. And then I capitulated. And it was okay. I was born in Manchester, or Greater Manchester, in Rochdale. And, you know, we were, in, in one sense, we were little English boys and girls. Uh, but in another sense, we were... Always very aware of being Irish, and our, that Kerry was home. Uh, when we went on holidays, it was my dad would say we're going home, not on holidays. And when you went to Calorgan from industrial England, it was just—I mean, we had this huge house, my grandfather's house, and gardens and fields and a river, going by the house and woods and an orchard. For God's sake, it was just paradise for little boys and girls. Best thing that ever happened to me. Ah, my two children, I suppose. I almost relived my childhood through my children. A lot of people say, oh, as a very devoted father, um, there's a reason for that. It's not self-sacrifice or anything. I, I, I did that. I know what I did. When I look back on it, I, I did that without realising that's what I was doing. I, I, I think a lot of parents are determined not to do what their parents did and I suppose not to die, if, you know, and just give them a lot of attention. I think we're all like that. I don't think I'm special like that. I think most people try to give their kids what they themselves didn't have or what the holes there were, and they'll always tell you, or they mightn't tell you straight to your face, they'll then do things that, oh, Paddy did this and he shouldn't have done that, and I won't do that to my kids. I think we all do that. I did my best, is all I can say.
there's a glen in Ado, Ado, Ado. There's a deep and secret glen in Ado, where we met my love and I. Love's fair planet in the sky. In the deep and many thanks to Paddy Prendival for his musical heirlooms. Oliver and Claire and Ronnie have been texting in telling us their lovely stories about friendships. Ethan Kilbarrick says she tries to fill the awkward silence with friends. It's necessary. And Canteen Run says it's the best and most accurate discussion he's heard in an age. Thanks, Canteen Run. So that's it for today. Thanks to Eva Breen, Kevin Kelly and Peter Malloy on the production team. And thank you for listening. There's a deep and secret laid in the Where I hid him from the eyes of the redcoats and their spies that yield the trouble came to Thanks for listening to this News Talk 106 to 108 podcast. To download other programs or for more information, go to newstalk.ie.